This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to another Joy 94.9 podcast. Transmission time with Jane and Lauren. We're actually both in the studio tonight, which makes a big change. We are, and we're here with Aqua, which is... I haven't heard that one for a long time. Jane, the candy man? Lollipop. Lollipop. Okay, Mm. is that what it's called? Uh, It actually goes by two names. So it's candy man and, in brackets, lollipop. Life from a transgender perspective, it's always good to go by two names, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I did that for years. Yes, yes. Um, So we'll be talking about trans issues and what's going on in around the world in in regard to trans people for the next hour. But a big thank you to the crew from Different Strokes. And we're here until who's on at nine, Jane? Uh, On at nine is Her Society. Oh, that's right, Ginny and Nat. Okay, cool. What's on the show, Jane? You, you've, uh, been, you've been producing today. What have you produced? We are going to have a little discussion about cross-dressing. We're going to talk about pumpers. And we might leave a, a definition of that to a little bit later. Murder and losing your identity. Treatment in prisons. You do tend to lose a bit of identity <laughs> after murder, don't you? You do, yes. And if we get round to it, we've got transport and a world roundup, but I doubt whether we're going to get through to that. We just have so much programmed. Transport. Okay, look for transport. <laughs> mm. Look forward to that one. So what have you been up to while you've been away? You were missing, weren't you, last week? Yes. Holidaying? My, my partner's dad was uh, seriously in hospital. Um, mm, that's not much of a holiday for no, anybody. No, it, it was a very stressful week up in the country, but um, he's uh, he seems to be on the recovery now, which is good. Uh, and, and I actually had a, uh, a couple of relaxing days once we got back to Melbourne. Uh, we went to the home show. Didn't spend any money there. A, a lot of nice things that we could do around the house, but, you know, you can... A lot of money. And you then always go... Why do you always go to the home show? Do just you? to get ideas. That's all. Okay. Whether we put them into practice or not is another matter. But, yeah, it's... It's a nice sort of three or, three or four hours walking around the, the place. Oh, is this okay? And, I can imagine three or four hours sitting in a bar would be a hell of a lot more fun. But <laughs> it could okay. be, yes. And until us and myself, we spent about three or four hours tidying up fallen trees around our place and branches that come off trees and all that sort of stuff. Have you had some, really, have you had some wind out your way? Oh, out the, the outer, 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 outer <laughs> suburbs. It's been collecting for you years and years oh and years. God. Do you not just burn it? Collect well, it? Cut it up and burn, have like a... You know, open fire or something? Uh, well, the bonfire is planned and it's it's all pushed together, ready to go. But do you not have a fire in your house? No. Oh, okay. Too much work, Lauren. Oh, heaven forbid, <laughs> Jane. Heaven forbid that you've got to cut it up. And it keeps you warm. It's a good thing. Yes, uh, the, the open fires are, are very nice, but they also, t- um, my experience has been they tend to be very smoky and make your ceilings dirty and, and I hate cleaning out fireplaces <laughs> the following morning. Oh, okay. So, you so I cheat. Oh. <laughs> you turn on the switch and the heat comes on. Fair enough, fair enough. And what else? You, what, what's this acoustic neuroma? What's that? My partner has or had an acoustic neuroma, which is a tumour inside the ear. And um, she's a member of, well, we're both members of the Acoustic Neuroma Association now. And it was the annual general meeting. And I'm afraid Kath wasn't quite fast enough on sitting on her hands. And she said something at the wrong time and she ended up on the committee. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> and you? I sat on my hands. That's the best thing to do at AGMs and and keep your mouth shut. Well, best just not to go, I think, if you really don't want to get get caught. But I mean you've done you've been volunteering for thirty years and you still volunteer and do a lot of the technical stuff here, so I think you've got more than enough things to do, haven't you? That's why I sat on my hands at this meeting. 
Fair enough. I've been fairly quiet since, well, I went through all of the Brisbane stuff last week with Rebecca and the gay nightclubs, and <coughs> I, I tested out the gay scene in Brisbane, and it was really nice, but won't go over all ground. It's, it is a nice place to go to, and they're very warm and friendly up there, especially warm. Um, well, it's a much warmer climate. Well, yes, it is. It is. So now, apart from that, I've just been working, really, this weekend. Yeah. Not good, Lauren. Well, I'm looking forward to summer. We got a taste of it in the last couple of days. uh, The weather has been sort of quite nice. Uh, My house was very pleasant today with the sun streaming in through the windows. Lovely. Oh, really? And the solar paddles on the roof and the electricity meter running backwards. That's great. Oh, you've got all that, really? To pump, pump electricity back into the grid? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, we've been doing is that. it cost effective? Oh, the payback period's quite a long time, uh, especially since I haven't got one of those smart meters where they where you where you get more money for the electricity than what it actually costs you. Whereas mine, the it's an old uh, mechanical meter and it just runs backwards, and the counters run backwards. It's great. Mm-hmm. I suppose I have uh, the bit of a philosophical uh, issue with uh, sort of being paid excessive rates for the electricity because uh, you get about 60 cents or something for the electricity whereas I pay 22 and basically what it does is to push the price of electricity up which is not why I bought the panels in the first oh, place. Oh I see, so if you have solar panels you're actually pushing the price of electricity up for everyone else? To my mind you are because you are p- you're being paid more than than what their wholesale rate for electricity is. Like, uh, like. Or what about their retail rate? You paid twenty-two um, cents an erg or whatever. I it think comes it's, in. T- it's about twenty-two cents per kilowatt hour, and I have a friend who's getting sixty-five cents per kilowatt hour in in the electricity that she sells back to the grid. So they have to resell that at eighty-five cents, and ah, uh, but they don't. To me, <laughs> oh, what do they do with that? Because the amount of electricity going back into the grid is relatively small to what they're buying in from their major um, wholesalers, it, it just tends to push the price up a little bit to everybody. Unless we all get solar panels. <laughs> yes. Then it might really push the price up. That, well, only to those who don't have them, which is probably everyone in the inner city and in apartments mm. and what have you. No, I haven't got them, but I have heard that the payback period is huge. But does it cut the cost of your electricity? Um, is that part of your payback? Ours, um, I know it's not why we're on air, but <laughs> I'm interested, so I figure somebody else must. Our bill dropped by about uh, 20 to $30 a quarter. Oh, really? Mm. On, on a what, a $500 bill? Uh, no, ours was about three, oh, about three fifty, I think it was. And it's, uh, it's dropped down a bit. Oh, there you go. It hasn't mm. dropped down a whole lot then. No, about t- it hasn't. About 10% <laughs> for $20,000 worth of solar panels. And, and you'd be worried every time there's hailstones, wouldn't you? Fortunately, we haven't had one yet. Hailstones? Uh, no, well, we haven't had one since I've had the panels up. Oh, okay. What if one of those bloody great big trees that you're talking about <laughs> lands on the house? I suppose you'd have more to worry about than the solar panels. <laughs> well, there aren't any trees near the house. <laughs> they all went years ago. Oh, you're just you're, you're very well organised. <laughs> I try well, to be. <laughs> Transmission time with Jane and Lauren. Studio's getting warm, Jane. It Life is. from a transgender perspective with Jane and Lauren. You have a topic of the week. That's a bit exciting. Been doing this for a few episodes now, just picking out a topic and then sort of talking about it. And this time we're going to talk about cross-dressing. We have been talking about transsexuality and transitioning issues quite a bit lately, so hmm. we can look at the other side of the fence. Well, that's a side of the fence that I started on. Um, Everyone starts there, don't yeah, they, really? Um, Some of the young kids seem to, to know themselves really well really early and I guess they're the lucky ones but yeah I guess the rest of us all start a journey somewhere in a cross-dressing vein somehow don't Mm. we my cross-dressing sort of started uh, from my very early childhood and 
and I suppose I freely admit that I did many things wrong <laughs> and and attracted a lot of unwanted attention. I suppose looking back on those days, my skirts were too short, my makeup was too thick. I think you used to say to me that it looks as though it was put on with a spatula. Spack filler it was in those <laughs> oh, days. Oh, that's right, spack filler, did, yeah. Did you ever actually wear that? I remember going with you once to buy, to buy clothes and you bought a bright green lycra mini skirt. Did you ever ever, ever wear that? No. No, I just didn't. An, an <laughs> and, imp- and I've still got it home. An impulse buy. Oh, look, I've got a wardrobe full of impulse buys that... I at the time thought seemed like a really really good idea mm. until you put them on and go ah oh, oh, not really mm. and lime bright lime green it, it was very bright wasn't iridescent it? green mini skirt i'm sure we can get a photo of you on the joy website at some stage <laughs> no, no, no thank you no thank you but that's one of the points that i want to bring up is and i think this probably applies to a lot of people that you start off sort of really going a bit overboard in your idea of femininity I think a lot of us tend to think short skirts are the ultimate in femininity and lots and lots of makeup and ultra high heels but when you look around at people in the street or the women in the street or down the supermarket that's not them no but what happens and this has been described to me many times is that what happens when a transgender person comes out and starts their, I guess, their, their journey and they start cross-dressing? They go through like a teenage girl puberty and they tend to dress yes. like a teenage girl does. It's like trying to go you know, from 12 to 20 in basically a year. Really quickly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But you have to do it. It's, it's like a coming of age. It's an unpleasant and untidy coming of age. But I guess, you know, I, th- I suspect everyone does it, but I don't know. I don't know. A lot of the people that I've met and over the years, yeah, they've they've come out and everyone owns a mini skirt. Perhaps yes. not a micro mini skirt with with green lycra, but everyone does tend to you, you buy them because oh, this is what people are wearing. Mm. But the styles have, uh, I suppose, have changed a little bit for uh, well for people of my age. And but I've still got all that short stuff at home somewhere. But it's it doesn't see the light of day. No, no, I remember not my, even in private. It doesn't. <laughs> my first night at Seahorse. God, it was pretty much when you joined Seahorse as well, wasn't it? It must be 15 or 20 years ago. Around about 20 years ago. Oh, that's scary. (laughs) I forgot where I was going with this. But I do remember it was not considered appropriate in those days for people to turn up wearing jeans. Correct. There was a policy in those days that, oh, girls don't, women don't wear jeans. But if you went down to the supermarket, what were they wearing? Everyone was wearing jeans, jeans, that's right. But it was considered not appropriate in those days. I mean, seahorses come a long way as well. But that was the way people thought in those days. Correct. The the cross-dressing, or I guess they were, the cross-dressing community felt that if you're going to cross-dress, you have to wear a skirt or a dress or something like that. Well, I actually went out to dinner on Sunday night around a friend's place, and it was the first time I'd worn a dress. Oh, I can't think in how many months. Really? Really? Yeah. It is nice to stick one on from time to it time. It is, yes. Yeah. Um, I've got, a, we've got a, an email here from Rebecca. My worst clothing decision was a leopard print winter jacket. So glad I no longer have it. It made me look like a cheap tramp. Oh, come on, Rebecca. I'm sure you, any number of things that you wore could have made you look like a cheap tram. We, oh, she'll get you for that. We, we, yes. Yeah, but we all do. You do. You do. It's just, I don't know what it is it's, or um, why it is. I think that when you first start cross-dressing, you tend to, um, you, you have this idea of what femininity is in your mind. Mm-hmm. But I think that we tend to think of teenage girls, which means short skirts, high heels, and in uh, maybe some ways looking a bit tarty. 
Um, yes, yeah, and, and honestly, I, I can't explain it either, but yeah, absolutely. Mm. Now, other than clothing, makeup, um, my recommendation, which is not what I used to do, but what I should have done, was, as my partner says, less is always best. And it's true. Don't go overboard. And it's, well, yes, I don't think anyone would disagree with you. But oh, good. It, does, it doesn't happen, but... <laughs> I suppose that we all tend to think that, you know, we've got to hide all uh, the male features. And as the psychiatrist said um, when I was going through the process, one of the things he said to me, it's like a mask wearing makeup. Yeah, it's something you can hide behind. A lot of it's to do with gender indicators. And I guess that's why a lot of people, when they first come out, wear, wear skirts, whether they're short or long or whatever. Mm-hmm. They try to, to remove as many male gender indicators as possible. Correct. So hiding the beard shadow is important. Mm-hmm. So more makeup or, certainly around the beard area or you can use good quality stage makeup which is what I did and it still uses because um, I found the colour that I like and I'm happy with it mm. and one of those little so I suppose about a one ounce tub or one and a quarter gram t- or ounce tub whatever it is lasts me about nine to ten months so oh. I don't use very much of it but you don't buy this from Target and Kmart I'm guessing do no you? you can't get the stuff it's oh, um, okay. no this is it's I think it's actually a stage makeup I know at least one place in Melbourne that sells it, but I won't name any names. No. I'm not allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. And I suppose the other thing would be, from my point of view, again, mistakes I made. Don't go overboard with the eyeshadow. You know, bright blue, it's, it was not really a good look for me. Well, I've always been, been a fan of big eyes. Mm-hmm. Big eyes and pale lips has always been my preference. Mm-hmm. It is difficult with the makeup because, like I said, the, if you can remove gender indicators with a dress and some makeup and you know and and hair and everything else that you've got to do or can do to remove it i guess you stand out less and that's the whole point of it is somehow the mentality is you know i just wish to blend in even though at the time you're wearing a mini skirt heels <laughs> and, and too much out. makeup yeah, yeah certainly too much makeup for daytime it's, and it's perhaps all of these things fade into insignificance at night time because, you know, you can be going out, have a drink in a bar, whatever. None of that matters. But certainly when you're going shopping, you know, a truckload of makeup and heels and skirts, they just don't really go these days if you want to blend in. Correct. One of the other questions that was sort of posed to, to me actually about this topic, it's not a topic I came up with, but I can thank our friend Rebecca for suggesting this one. The cheap uh, tramp. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that one. That's the one. <laughs> yeah. Where to get clothes from? Yes. Yeah, what, yeah. You mean the very, very early yes, days? Yes, in your early Where day. do you buy your first skirt when you're presenting as male? Because mm. you're right, it's a, it's a tough call. Because if you've got no female clothes, you can't go shopping in Kmart and go into the changing rooms because uh, it doesn't mm. quite work, does it? No. Well, I think my first clothes came from one of the local op shops. And I think I remember going in with some male clothes at the time and this skirt or or top sort of all mixed up together. And Mm -hmm. I went in and sort of tried on the girl things. Didn't worry about the boy things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and came out and there's a way sort of trying them on sort of surreptitiously. But I made a lot of mistakes in the clothes that I bought. I did too. But I guess when I was first coming out, and you were to a large extent, we used to meet at an op shop that was open on a Thursday night for us down That's in right. Mentone. We'd meet down there, and it was, it had been widely promoted, I guess, as far as you can within the pseudo community in those days, and without the internet, as somewhere where cross dressers could turn up to get dressed. 
Yes. So and you buy could, clothes. And, and try clothes. And I guess there was a good uh, commerce in it for the, the lady who ran the show. And it was good for people who wanted to start out on the journey and, and get some clothes, get at least something in the wardrobe so they could go shopping the next day somewhere else. Mm. So that was a good thing. But I know after a while I, I just lost interest in the whole, I'm going to hide this. And, and certainly with op shops, you can go there and say, look, I just need to try on this leather skirt. Even presenting as male. And they go, yep, no worries. Mm. Well... I actually found a mauve skirt that I like in Northland and I saw it there one night so just before closing time and oh yeah, I like that anyway I ended up going in the following day and they'd shifted it oh don't you hate <laughs> anyway, that um, especially when you're feeling nervous and anxious and you know I'm going to go straight there grab that and that'll do and I was on my way to work oh good <laughs> so I was going in late that morning for some reason um, I think I had a, a bit of time off I said to the girl oh there's a, um, a mauve skirt here and she said oh it's over here and she went and got it and it's my size and I said oh can I try it on oh yeah can you just wait till that woman comes out of the change room? Said, yeah, okay. So I had to wait, you know, three or four minutes and I went in chain. Oh, yeah, this fits. Okay, bought it. Didn't wear it to work that day, though. No, I didn't wear it to work that no, day. No, no. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I guess these days with the, the returns policies of all the, all the major department stores, I guess if you've got an idea of how, you know, what size you are, you just buy it. If it doesn't fit, take it back the next day and get a larger size. But, um, the large chain stores do tend to have fairly good policies regarding uh, transgender clients. Oh, uh, that's if you're presenting as, trans, trans, as, as a, female, as fe- if you're uh, buying female yeah, clothing. Or male if you're female to male. But I don't know how they'd go if you just sort of um, walked in male where with some female clothes and said, oh, I want to try these on. I've got no idea. There's, there's a question, Jane. Um, and we just we'll perhaps wrap this part up just in a tick. Female to male cross-dressers. Uh, is there such a thing, do you think? Um, well, I don't know. Um, uh, according to some stats I actually saw t- today or yesterday, when I do some research, about one in 100,000 in the US. But no, no that's um, trans- female to male Fem- transsexuals. Yeah. What about oh, female cr- to male cross-dressers? Do you think? Well, a lot of the clothing uh, for women... A lot of it's actually cut, sort of, or, you know, is it very much in a male style? Well, uh, is it jeans and, and flat shoes, or runners um, and jeans? Well, not an issue, well, is I'm it? Even thinking about sort of uh, some of the jackets that I've seen uh, for women, they look very male, and I've seen quite a few women who are very smartly dressed in, in basically what looks like a male suit, but no one gives them a second glance. No, no. I guess to to be a true female to male cross dresser, you'd have to do something. Um, I guess you'd you'd have to bind your chest. Yes. I guess fundamentally to, to flatten out the boobs. And I don't know about the face. It's always very difficult because a lot of the female-to-male transsexuals I've met have generally been on testosterone, so they're starting to develop a level of facial hair. But early on, um, and I did meet um, meet one boy once, looked like a very young, f- fabulously young man in male clothing and he hunched over in very much the way men sit you know poor posture Mm. daggy male clothes short cropped hair i mean and i only knew that he was in the journey from female to male because he said so otherwise you could have any number of guesstimates are I think it's a girl or I think it's a boy or, you know, I'm not really sure what that person is. It could have been a lot of lesbians that you meet tend to dress very masculine. So it's, it's very hard to say whether there's a female to male actual cross-dressers, unless I guess they do the 
some kind of dark makeup on the face around the mm. beard area Don't to look know, like it, Fred Flintstone. It, it's not an area that I have any experience in. <laughs> it's a tough one. We'll talk about it further in a moment. Transmission time with Jane and Lauren. And Transmission time with Jane and Lauren and Britney Spears is stronger, and I'm sure you're a lot stronger as well, Jane, for all your experiences. <laughs> well, I'd like to think that I'm a lot stronger than I used to be. That's yeah. those biceps of yours. <laughs> um, no, the, the whole band saw to that very quickly. <laughs> yes, our weekly topic is uh, cross-dressing, and you were going to talk about social groups, because mm. I guess there are still people, I imagine people out there now listening on the web somewhere in Munich, just thinking about coming out and moving on we can't really help you much overseas but what about Melbourne? Well uh, Melbourne probably the the main group for cross-dressing would be Seahorse Club of Victoria which I joined many many years ago and found it to be a great advantage it gave me an enormous amount of confidence to actually come out um, and to basically find who I was because um, we were mingling at the, and I was with you at the time mingling with there was the meetings had 40 or 50 people Generally, all trans women, pretty much. We didn't get too many trans men come along, but all with exactly the same issues. Yes. And and I guess they help. They help with makeup. They help with clothes, mm. and they help with your your self esteem. And I think that was the the main thing. In my sort of very early days, I used to think that you know cross dressing, all wrong, nasty. Maybe I should be in prison for doing this. And in some countries, you would be. But what Seahorse gave me was. I suppose a lot of mental support that here I am in a room uh, with other cross-dressers who have the same issues that I do. Mm -hmm. uh, some were sort of further down the track than me and uh, some of them have transitioned uh, well before me and I dare say there'll be a few coming along after me who will, who will transition. But it was a great environment and one uh, that, I, that I'd highly recommend. There's, there's also groups like there's an email group called Melbourne Girls. Uh, which they have some interesting discussions in that as well. Your social groups are all about support and learning. Learning often about your own issues and coming to terms with yourself. Well, it is. It's learning how other people dealt with the exactly same issues that you have. Yes. And it helps you kind of, oh, yeah, well, if Christina did that, okay, I think I can manage that. And you kind of, I know I did, I found some mentors in the, in the social groups that we were members of, and they just kind of helped me deal with some of the um, emotional issues with, was part of it but just a lot of the logistical issues as well and, and how do you do this and how do you get around that and I guess how do you explain yourself to your partner and to your friends that's a whole topic in itself well it is as you move through cross-dressing you tend to have to come out at some point I guess you don't have to come out but you want to come out well it does make life a lot easier um, one of the problems that I had was that I had two sort of young teenagers and they were starting to question why Dad was going out on a Sunday night. Uh, I think my partner said, oh, uh, he's out with friends. Mm. Dad doesn't have any friends. There was me, <laughs> but you never invited me round. <laughs> true, but, true. Yeah, that's right. You're almost living a dual... Well, you are living a dual life, aren't you, at that yes. point? yes. Because you do have friends, and we had a lot of friends in the community in those days, and used to run balls and functions and all sorts of stuff. And obviously when you're presenting as who you believe you truly are, you tend to drift towards that side of your personality, and you want to spend more time presenting as who you are. Correct. Until, like you, you go off and do the full transition and have overseas holidays and stuff. Well, there might be an overseas holiday coming up next year, we're not sure yet. Oh, another one. Okay. <laughs> The other question that got posed to me was getting over the paranoia. How do you do that? In the early days when I went out, I was paranoid that people were going to pick me. 
you know, these days. Not, not who cares? Pick you for a fight, but identify you as a as male. trans person. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Yeah. As a cross dresser, I guess. Yes. And you perceived that to be bad, didn't you? Yes, I did. These days, I don't think it sort of worries me sort of quite as much. Uh, yes, I don't like being sort of picked and pointed at. And occasionally you get the, the odd look, but... Well, no one likes being pointed at and no. ridiculed, I guess. But, um, you know, a little bit of facial surgery on a holiday was <laughs> has done wonders, actually. So, and That's what you think, dear. <laughs> but yes, I agree. If nothing else has done wonders for your self-confidence. That's right. And I think a lot of it is about your self-confidence, how well you feel about yourself and... Um, it's just a long, a long drawn-out process, and I don't know if there's an easy way around it. No, no. Someone did it at Seahorse years ago. Said to me because I was so embarrassed, I was so ashamed at being there, just at who I was. And I guess this is—I mean, this would transpose across the gay and lesbian community as well. I was so ashamed of who I was. Someone at Seahorse one night said, "Just push your tits out, stick your chin up, <laughs> and just get out there, and don't." And let you've been what, doing that ever yep, since, haven't you? I have you? been doing that, but if they recognise you, who you were. Don't let it bother you. Mm. You know, it's not your concern. Mm. People are concerned about it for three seconds when you're walking past, and then we all move on. And they also said the more you're out there, the less they're looking at someone else. And I think it was good advice just to deal with it because, you know, there's people out there in in this day and age, and I don't want to talk about the olden days. (laughs) These days, self-expression is there everywhere. Mm. You know, there's facial piercings and half the the footy players on TV have got tattoos all over the place. Mm. and. People are less looked down upon for how they present. I think there's been some large changes in our society. Well, certainly in the 20 years when you and I basically um, started getting serious about this stuff. And I think a lot of that has been brought about by the media. There are trans people turning up in the media. There are gay and lesbian people turning up in the media. And it's accessible on the internet as well, yes. isn't it? You can Google trans, where I guess 20 years ago when you and I came out, it was... <laughs> there was you, no Google. There was no Google, no. So, so I guess information is far more widely available. I still think we're a long way behind the gay and lesbian community uh, in terms of acceptance. Probably by about so 10, 15 years, I'd reckon. So do you think if you were coming out today, would you still have the paranoia? Remembering how you were 20 years ago? Um, at a personal level, yeah, I think I probably would. Because I think it's a a developmental thing that you have to go through unless you're sort of really really confident and I think that in my early days I wasn't confident I think I'm a lot more confident of socially now to to get out there whereas 20 years ago as my male persona no I I wasn't what you'd call a confident person no well certainly and I knew you back then but I think a lot of the confidence has come from the inside oh yes definitely Um, you have to be able to be prepared to say look that's it I'm going I'm going out. I remember sitting in the car outside the Peel nightclub for an hour one night. I was in a gay and lesbian area, fabulous, accepting, tolerant area. It was 11 o'clock at night and I could not get myself out of the car because I was ashamed and embarrassed about who I was. And I thought people would look at me in the street and poke fun. And Mind you, we did get eggs. Myself and one of my girlfriends got eggs thrown at us one day. But that's another story. This was probably before then that I was just, I didn't feel, I couldn't get out of the car. Mm. And it's, it's all about it comes from inside. It comes from inside with a little bit of bullying from people in your support <laughs> network saying, no, no, you've got to do it. Anyway, we have harped on. Got to move forward with the show. And we have some, oh, we'll talk about pumping shortly. Yes. We got another uh, email from Rebecca. Uh, that's it, Lauren. Next time on air with you, I'm wearing an evening gown. Yeah, thank you for that. Yes, and another one, best thing about social groups, real or online, is they let you know you're not alone. We'll move Try. forward. <laughs> Transmission time.
Black Eyed Peas. Sorry, Jane. <laughs> we were both going to back announce at the same time. <laughs> we should plan this a bit better, Lauren. Black Eyed Peas, Meet Me Halfway. There I've done it. Life from a transgender perspective with Jane and Lauren. We finished off on cross-dressing, although we did get a couple of messages. Big hi to Greg in Geelong. Thank you for listening at your desk. You really shouldn't be no. working at this time of night, though. I think you got that one mixed up. He's in Canberra. Where did I say? Geelong. On a mix in Geelong. It sends a lovely message through. And we are getting uh, text messages through, it would appear. I love listening to your show and look forward to it each Wednesday. Sunshine and encouragement to all of your listeners. Thanks, Jane, for putting up some of the podcasts, which you have been doing, Mick well, from Geelong. Well, um, there's a new one up there, which is actually quite an old one. It was, um, It's actually over a year old, but it's, uh, it's an interview with Dr. Craig Smith from the Murdoch Children's Institute, I think it is, talking about changing the genes in chicken embryo, embryos to change their sex. Oh, we talked to Craig about 12 months ago about mm, that. That's, that's the one I've just put up. Well, I might listen to it. On the, it's on the Joy website, is it? Yes, just go to the top where it says podcast and follow the links to Transmission Time and you'll find it. We're going to interview Craig in the next few weeks, aren't we? He's um, got, there's been some more genetic movements in yes, terms of... Uh, he's off overseas, in it, uh, I think, next week, so it might be about a month before we get round to him. It's, he's a geneticist. The times we've had, had him and also, the remember the genetic geneticists we had in from the... Royal Melbourne Hospital, um, I think. The Prince Henry's Institute. Prince Henry. uh, Lauren Hare and Ian Muchamore, that was. They all seem to be finding that gender is gene-based. Uh, yes. They? They're, all, they're all finding things on the DNA string that, that when they're switched on or switched off, that people with these specific genes have a much greater chance uh, of becoming trans but, or uh, identifying but as trans. The, but the one thing they say that there doesn't appear to be just one gene. They believe it's a succession of genes. Like in one of the tests I think Lauren Hare did was that they found that there was about a 60% variation in one particular gene for, uh, for transsexuals. That's sort of like sort of a bit of an indication, but it wasn't. This gene didn't get changed in everybody, so um, so they believe that there's a number of genes that have to be changed to um, a number to of things have yeah. to happen. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. If if certain ducks are in a row, they create you and I. Yes. Apparently. Anyway, tell me about pumping, Jane. Well, pumping is a not a very nice way of body modification. It's it's very much it's very much something in the trans. It's trans related, isn't it? It because is. You, uh, I, I guess you don't see too much of this. Well, uh, well, fortunately, uh, I haven't heard of it in Australia. It's a it's a very dangerous uh, procedure. Basically, what it is is that a pumper will pump silicon into your body. And, and they're called a pumper because they're pumping silicon into your body? Correct. Uh, so they could be a motor mechanic by day, but they're a pumper by night if they're prepared to pump silicon. And it's raw silicon, isn't it? That's into right. Your body. Um, it's loose silicon. It isn't like in a breast implant that's sort of, that's like a gel that basically stays where it's, uh, where it's put it. And if you, like, if you cut it, it, uh, it doesn't sort of run all over the place like the old silicon implants used to do. It's sort of very dangerous if it's it gets into your system, it's, it's, it's almost it's liquid silicon, isn't it? Yes, but people but, are getting uh, pumped into their hips and into their chests to right. give them a female uh, form. There are a couple of problems. One, first of all, they tend not to use medical grade silicon. They often use industrial grade silicons. They will mix it with things like baby oil and, in some cases, even um, industrial oils. Ah. So yeah, and the idea is to pack out the hips and pack out the breasts. Correct. In, yeah. in a really short time, without surgery, mm. and really cheap. There's a, a case here of a Miss uh, Quespy. 
who said that she, her first injections uh, were actually done in a Upper East Side apartment in the US as she lay in a small room on a narrow uh, passage table having paid $1,200 to get four cups of silicon injected into her hips and buttocks without anaesthesia. Evidently, when she slid off the makeshift table, she saw bright red drops of blood and the pumper said, oh, uh, oh, that's easy, we'll fix that and got crazy glue, which I, th- I assume is something like our super glue and just basically put that over each of the wounds to seal them up. Now, not what you'd call very sort of hygienic. Anyway, this, this person was very happy with the results. Really? Even what, after all that? What, she, until she died three days later? <laughs> no, well, she, she didn't quite die three days later. But she ended up having photos on her desk of a new figure. She had a really nice figure. But over time, she actually paid a very high price for this because in time, the silicon in her body calcified and it began to migrate. So it didn't stay where it was put. And evidently, she had quite a number of hospitalizations to try and fix the problem. And beginning of July, she was hospitalized for for infection. Um, Her body had been left scarred and misshapen. So because the silicon moved around from where it was supposed to stay... Because it's not sitting anywhere in particular, is it? That's correct, yes. It's simply just going to move through the body. So if you you walk a lot, one would assume that gravity would push it down. Would tend to move it around. Anyway, the the skin on buttocks and legs uh, had become discolored, and a lump of hardened silicon the size the golf ball hangs behind her left knee oh dear oh dear now uh, she said that she she knew the person doing it didn't have any training but she couldn't afford to go to a doctor to get implants there was another case where somebody basically flew into philadelphia on in february this year uh, a 20 year old woman she'd flown in from london for the injections and died shortly after receiving them Wow. No, it's not a very... So it's not, but I've heard of pumping parties in the US yes. where a whole bunch of trans women get together and, and basically get pumped up with silicon. That's right. It can be fatal. Um, quote here in the oh, article... Coming to yours then, I'm <laughs> going to I'll do the Tupperware thing instead. Mm. Uh, well, the article actually called The High Price of Looking Like a Woman. And there's a quote in here, Pumpers are preying on desperate people who are poor. They're basically killing people and getting profit from it. Don't try this at home. Is, oh, is no. It can be a very expensive exercise in in transitioning, but please don't do it that way. Um, Find a reputable surgeon and have them do the work, not some backyard shonky. (laughs) Wow, written, spoken and authorised. Transmission time with Jane and Lauren. We'll be back in a couple of tickets. Tickets? What moments? Something like that? Something like that. We'll wrap it up shortly. Transmission time with Jane and Lauren. A few bits and pieces that have been going on, Jane. There's some... UK sex swap babies. If I find the article, <laughs> yes. Well, last, I think we talked about it a while ago. There was a trans man and a trans woman who had actually somehow managed to get themselves together. Ah, uh, yes. Mummy, now, mummy couldn't have babies, so Daddy did it for her. That's right. Evidently, when little Dante is old enough, his parents are going to basically sit him down and explain that Mummy couldn't have babies, so Daddy did it for her. And that's because... That'll be fun at kinder, won't it? <laughs> it could be. could be. And that's because the, um, the, the toddler was born to the world's most amazing families. His mum, Emily, was born a boy, and his father, Kay, was born a girl. And doctors are baffled, believing it's medically impossible for Dad which is child 24, to give birth. And as Emily was also thought to be uh, sterile. Of course, because that's part of the transitioning process. The oestrogen gradually prevents 
the sperm thing working? Mm. They, they quote here saying, we didn't plan on having a baby, says Emily. We didn't try to make it happen, nor do we think it could happen. We were planning on adopting because as far as we uh, knew, having a baby was on our own and impossibility separately, let alone together. These two had unprotected sex. Yes. Which is in itself is a little bizarre, isn't it? Because I believe Emily had been on hormones since she was 16. So normally that's enough to prevent an erection and certainly to prevent sperm being produced. Correct. So the fact that they're able to actually have sex, the opposite way to a, a typical heterosexual couple would be, and I guess these two would be, would be classified as a heterosexual couple, couple, except mum's got a penis and dad has a vagina and they've had sex and now dad's pregnant. That's quite, honestly. <laughs> That's confusing, isn't it? It's such a party conversation, isn't it? <laughs> it is, Lauren. Yes. How was your day today? Oh, I found out I'm pregnant. Oh, oh. you better shave the beard off, I guess. Then. Mm. Fun and games. Wow. Mm. We, we'll have to. We'll follow that one through. I think, Jane. But yes, we do need. We do need to get out of here, and we'll be back. Are you going to come in next week? Do you think? Yes, I'm here next week. Okay, Are you well, here next all week? All things being equal, I'll be here next week as well, and we'll have more of life from a transgender perspective. And we'll see you next week. Good night. This has been another Joy 94.9 podcast. Joy 94.9 is a gay and lesbian volunteer-based community radio station committed to providing a voice for the diverse GLBTI communities. You can support our work by becoming a member or making a donation. For details, go to joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.